You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin uh, reading in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let's uh, begin reading. It says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot of meat right here in Philippians 2. Something that's been on my heart to deal with, and you wouldn't necessarily think that you would start in this passage if you're dealing with this subject, but the subject that's been on my heart for a while to deal with is the subject of missions. And I have felt since I became a pastor here at Eastside Baptist Church that the heartbeat of our church should be missions. And I think we do a good job at missions, but I also think there is room to grow in the area and of our heart for missions. And I really do believe that if our priority is right with missions, that everything else will fall into place. And we're about to come into a season where we'll be confronted with the idea of how much we invest in missions, and and not just through our giving, but also in supporting others and going even ourselves. That will be emphasized. You know, we've got some things coming up where our where we'll be confronted with our giving and with our mindset and our heart. And I think it would be good for us as a church as we come into this season to better understand missions and then evaluate where we really are. And I'll be delving into some of those things. Tonight's kind of a big picture. Let me just give you a qualifier. It's a big picture kind of a message. It's different than my usual preaching. I'm usually an expository preacher where I take a text and I go through the text and find the big idea in that text. Tonight will feel more topical. It might even be less preachy and more teachy. I think that's allowed as a, as a preacher. Um, but however it comes across, there's no doubt that missions better be our heartbeat if we expect God to continue to bless Eastside Baptist Church. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you bless the reading of it and bless our time in it. God, we want to... Make sure that we're where we're at, where we ought to be in this area of missions, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. This week, I have found myself dealing with three big things, big things in my mind. 
Uh, the, the first thing that, that really probably the majority of my time besides study this week has gone uh, to plans for the church planting conference. And that's coming up. It's less than two weeks away. And, uh, and already I was looking at some of the numbers. We have, we're having them register online. And uh, we've got probably we'll have at, at this point, and we're still a week and a half away, at least 60 guests on the property of Eastside Baptist Church. And that includes, right now, at this point, about six church planters, which is exciting, and then uh, a number of pastors and staff and their families as well. So um, I'm just thinking through some of those details and trying to wrap my mind around what needs to be done and, and uh, making sure that I've, I've got my ducks in a row for that. So that's been on my mind. Another thing I've dealt with this week, and, and I just confirmed uh, with a, a third missionary family for our missions conference in October, October 18th. Sorry, October 21st through 25th, and uh, a missionary friend of ours, or a longtime missionary friend to the country of India, his name is Sam Thomas, and him and his family will be here, um, and along with uh, the Ruckmans, and then another family um, that I'm waiting to hear back confirmation from. So, in my mind, I'm getting very excited about Missions Conference and the ability to potentially invest in them and hear preaching about missions. And then also, the other thing that's been on my mind, trying to figure some things out with, and I've had other conversations uh, with some other uh, pastors and things, and that is about how to do outreach in the COVID era, uh, because people aren't super excited about you knocking on their door and sitting in their living room and giving them the gospel these days. Not that they were before, but now they have an excuse, you know, um, as if we weren't already antisocial enough as a country. So just trying to think through some of those things and, and the best way to work through some of those and formulating a plan to, to start handing out door hangers and things like that, things that wouldn't be as personal in contact, but we're still making effort to get out there. I think it's important. All, all those events and ministries, then think about them. The church planning conference, the, the missions conference, or, and then the outreach plans, they all have something in common and that they're all connected to the Great Commission. Uh, they're all about giving the gospel. They're all related to God's mission for his churches by giving the gospel to the world. Church planning, missions conferences, outreach, all three are different areas and they may look different, but they're all seeking to accomplish the same mission and, that is, and each of those then deserves our time and our attention because all three of those things, church planning, missions, and outreach or giving the gospel, all of those things matter to God. They should therefore matter to us. So when we think of God's mission, most of us think about seeing people saved. And obviously that should be what we think about when we think of missions and outreach. There's no doubt that a major part of God's mission, and therefore our mission as a church, is to see people saved. That should be a part of our mission. And I believe a church is no church if it's not involved in the mission of seeing souls saved. I really believe that. But is it accurate then, though, to say that the ultimate mission is to see people saved? Now, be careful how you answer it. I, and I'm not saying, trust me, I'm not saying it's not important to see people saved. As good as it sounds, though, I'm not, also not sure that paints the entire picture of what's supposed to happen. I mean, just as an example, if you look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, um, reaching people or seeing them saved is just part of the process. 
So we have to be careful then to say the ultimate mission of of Eastside Baptist Church and therefore the ultimate mission of any local church is just simply to see that people are one to Christ. When you truly think about God's mission, it really is bigger than that. God's mission, and I know this seems, may, may seem strange, but God's mission, it, it's bigger than missionaries. It's bigger than people. It's even bigger than the, the idea of reaching the maximum number of people to be saved. Do, do we want all of those things to happen? Yes. Do we believe in missionaries? Yes. We believe that the maximum number of people that can be saved should be saved. That's what we're looking to do. But the big idea of God's mission is even bigger than that. It's bigger than what we think. And one reason, one place that you can look to better understand this is here in Philippians 2. And you wouldn't necessarily think of this as a missions chapter, but I do think there are things that we can learn about God's mission through Philippians chapter Philippians 2. The first few verses in this, ver- in this chapter are Paul's way of teaching the, those in Philippi to deal with each other with the mind of Christ. Okay, that's, We could preach on that as much as we can and not hear it enough. Anytime you have a group of people that are working together and serving together and thrust together around something like Eastside Baptist Church, for example, uh, then you're going to have conflicting personalities. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I'm pretty sure that happens. Okay, not here, but in some churches. You're going to have people that, that don't get along all the time. You're going to have differences of opinions, and you've got strong personalities working with strong personalities. And, and you've got, I mean, the likelihood of conflict, conflict is high. No church has ever gone through um, its life as a church, an effective, busy, active church, and not had some of those things happen. And Philippi was a great church. It's a commendable church. And yet Paul found himself then still telling a church like this that they needed, if they were going to be unified and have unity, then they had to, be, they had to approach each other with the mind of Christ. And their, their humility, uh, the humility of Jesus Christ was the approach that they were to take with each other. There's no better example in the Bible of humility than Jesus Christ. So that's why Paul begins in what we read. He writes in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he paints a picture of what the mind of Christ looks like. And uh, Here I said I wasn't going to preach an expository message, and yet I find myself going through the text like normal. Okay. Verse 6, here's what it looks like in Christ's life. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What that's saying, and this is, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but you, the, basically, literally, what that means is that uh, Jesus Christ didn't view uh, his, his position with God as something to be snatched at or held on to. He thought it not robbery to snatch it. What he, basically, what he's saying is, is, is he didn't get sent to earth and holding on to God's leg saying, I don't want to go. No, he was willing to release his position and his place next to God to come to planet earth And then verse 7, to come, it says, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He came down to this planet, and he was not a king. He wasn't wearing a crown. I don't have to tell you this, but he came with humility. That's the mindset that Paul is saying that you ought to have with other church members if you want unity in the church. 
He says, so then verse 8, it says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here he is, he's saying, Jesus Christ is 100% God. He's also 100% man. And he came down and in his physical body, he humbled himself before his father and he obediently died on the cross for the sins of humanity as a substitute in our place. And if we were to stop there, I mean, it's, let's, there's plenty of rich, of rich truth to stop and think about. But if we were to stop there, we might say that God's mission for Jesus Christ was that he'd come to earth, die for sinners so that sinners could be saved. Not a bad mission. Not at all. But I want you to realize something. The thoughtful doesn't stop there. Look at verse 9. It says, wherefore. Now, I'm going to stop and just, just with that word. And anytime you see a wherefore, you need to see what it's there for. If there's a therefore or a wherefore, you need to see what they're there for. Okay? I don't even know where that came from, but that sounded pretty fancy. Wherefore. So wherefore, in that verse, is connecting to the thoughts before it. Saying that Jesus Christ came as 100% man, and he was obedient unto death, and he died on the cross for, for the sins of mankind. Wherefore, because he went through that, because he was humble, and he obeyed his Father, then wherefore, it says, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. So because Jesus Christ was willing to submit himself to his father and die on the cross humbly as a substitute for sinners, God has exalted him. God has lifted him up and given him the greatest name in the universe. That's what he's saying. Pretty heady stuff here. And there's a very important word then at the beginning of verse 9 that in verse 10. So wherefore, but then verse 10 it says that. So that means that it's a continuation of the thought. So basically they're saying Jesus Christ came to die on the cross and because he came to die on the cross, God has also highly exalted him that. And they're basically saying that even Jesus Christ being exalted and having the highest name in the universe, that's not even at the end of the thought flow. That he says, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name and here's why, that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. So do you see how the cross led Jesus Christ to being exalted by God, but he wasn't exalted just for the sake of being exalted. He was exalted so that the purpose would be that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So uh, my, my point here, listen, as important as it is for us to see the verses on Christ's death, there's a wherefore that means his, his death on the cross was for a reason that he could be exalted. And then him being exalted was done for a reason so that every knee would bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth that at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see how the cross wasn't the end? The cross led to Jesus Christ's exaltation, which then will lead him to be in a position someday that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, it's very important for us to see we want souls to be saved 
And we want the cross to be lifted high. And we want people to come to Christ. But it is not the end itself. The end is that God receives the ultimate glory that he deserves. See, what's the, what's the main motive for life and missions then? Well, God's mission is primarily about his glory. And I, I, and I know, and I'll try to explain this in a way that makes even halfway sense, but what's the glory of God? I mean, if you're trying to explain that or describe the glory of God to me, how would you describe it? Have you ever seen the glory of God? I mean, if you saw it, would you know what it was? Well, God's glory refers to God's supreme greatness. And one person wrote this, and I like it. It says, it's that doctrine of, the doctrine of God's glory encompasses the greatness, beauty, and perfection of all that he is. Now, that sounds really good, but what does that look like? And you say, well, God's glory, it just seems really vague to me. I, I don't know that I get it. And let me just give you some encouragement I don't know that we're meant to get it. I don't know that we're meant to truly understand what God's glory really is. I mean, when, when, when uh, Moses was speaking with God, he just said, show me, just show me a little bit of your glory. And God said, you can't look at my glory and live. And, and if you think about it, you read in the Bible, as, as, I don't know that the Bible tries to describe what God's glory is as much as it simply lets us know that God is full of glory and he is glorious. And maybe the, the Holy Spirit knew our minds would not be able to comprehend it, so I'm not even going to try to explain it to them. It's kind of like when your kids ask you a question that's way beyond their comprehension and you give them a very simple answer because there's no way they could really understand what you're saying anyway. That's how I feel when I think about what, what the Bible does with God's glory. And, and what I take it to mean is in, in everything that God is and in everything that God does, he's greater than my description or comprehension. See, but that doesn't mean we're off the hook. It doesn't mean that, well, I can't explain it or I can't do this. It's kind of like the, the student that comes to algebra, which algebra was my nemesis. For some reason, I was really good at geometry. Algebra and me, we were never best friends. And algebra, for some reason, I just had a tough time with it. I think I finally started getting it. I think, I don't know if I really did or not. But, you know, it's one of those things where you say, well, I'm not going to get it anyway, so I'm not even going to try and some students do that, don't they? Maybe you do, you've done that before. Say, well, I'm not going to get it, so I'm not even going to try. Well, see, that's the wrong approach to God's glory. We might say, I don't understand God's glory, and God doesn't want me to understand it anyway. He doesn't really explain it all that much, so I'm off the hook. No, we have a responsibility to recognize and reflect God's glory as his followers. So it's possible for us as sinners to try to steal some of God's glory for ourselves. We try to become the center of attention. We try to steal some of God's glory. I mean, you think about, look at Philippians 2, where we were in verse 3, right here. It says, let nothing be done through strife or, what's the next word? Vainglory. So you kind of have this opposite ends. You've got a book, maybe a bookends. You've got these people that Paul's trying to prevent them from seeking vainglory or fake glory. So he says, if you want to prevent vainglory, you need to have the humility of Christ because in the end, the only one that's really deserving of real glory is God himself. 
But we try, through our approach with each other and through our personal pride, we try to steal some of that glory and make life about us, and we can't even begin to do it. The whole Bible reveals God to be on a mission to be glorified by mankind. See, our text in Philippians 2 is proof of that. Let me just read you some, some verses tonight. Philippians, or, sorry, Psalm 72, 19. It says, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. How's the earth going to be full of his glory? Well, I think, first of all, I think about nature. I think about mountains, and I, I mean, I'm a mountain guy. I, I just, I, I, a little bit geek out over mountains. I just think, I, we go to national parks with our kids a lot of times on vacation. I'm like, kids, look at that mountain right there. And they're like, we've already, we've seen that, uh, something just like that ten times, Dad. Okay. That's kind of how they are, but I'm just always like, you see this. I can't, God made that. We went to the Grand Canyon, and I made the mistake one um, uh, we were driving through, we we're just going to stop and see it for a little bit. I made this mistake of driving all night to get there. And we got there, and I'm on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, kids, do you see this? And they're like, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, we see it, Dad. I was like, what? I mean, are you not comprehending what's happening? I mean, it's, it was just a, it was a, dad, a rookie dad mistake, I think. But I, I'm always excited about that stuff, and I get into it. And I, so I think about nature, and I think about God's glory. It's definitely evident in nature, isn't it? Some of the South Dakota sunsets, I mean, it's amazing to look out. I mean, God's handiwork is evident. His glory is in all the earth. But when it says, let the whole earth be filled with his glory in Psalm 72, it's not just talking about nature, it's talking about people. That people through the earth, everybody that's alive, is giving God the glory that he deserves. The Bible, God is on a mission to be glorified by mankind. You think about Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. I mean, God seeks to receive glory through people. And it's amazing to me that something I can't even wrap my mind around, something I can't even understand, I can have a hand in helping somebody else do Glorify God. I mean, I don't, if they, somebody asks me, what is God's glory? I'm not sure that I know. But some way, me living like Jesus Christ and showing good works to the world will help others glorify God. I mean, I, I, I'm all about that. If I, even, I can't even understand it, and yet God will let me have a part in it? That's amazing. God seeks to receive glory through people, and he, he often seeks uh, the, the glory or his glory by doing things for us and suffering along with us or, or saving us or sealing us or working on our behalf. And when he does that, you have to know only God could have done that. He receives the glory when he does things that only he can do. And I, I'm just talking to Brother Roy this week about Nancy and, and just the way that God's grace... I'm, the, how the doctors told him that, that Nancy would have pain, unbearable pain, that wouldn't be able to even be touched by the medicine that she's taking. And there were a couple of painful days. But he said the last week, she has not been in that kind of pain. And she was at peace and she was at rest. Right, Brother Roy? And she didn't have that kind of pain in her body that the doctors were sure she was going to have. And in my mind, I'm thinking only God can do that. It's a miracle that he does those kinds of things for us. 
And for us then to know that he did that for Nancy Everett and gave the kind of grace and peace that he's given to that family, it's something only God could have done. And for us to ignore that would be to rob God of some of the glory that he deserves. God seeks glory through his people by doing things for his people. I mean, Israel, Psalm 106, it says, Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. God does things simply because he wants the earth, he wants the world, he wants people to see him for who he is and how great he is and how beautiful he is and how perfect he is. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. If God is about receiving glory from every knee and every tongue and every life, then our mission is primarily about his glory. And as clear as the Bible makes God's passion for his glory, it's equally clear it should be our passion. Everything we do is to result in God's glory. Matthew 5, 16, I recorded it. Let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Disciples of Christ should do all to the glory of God, including our mission. So for us then to say it's about souls being saved, I think that even robs the focus of, of God's glory. Should we seek souls to be saved? Absolutely. But God's glory is at stake. That should be our driving motivation. Now, I think about God's glory even in suffering. Disciples of Christ, it says in Matthew 19, that they sacrifice and suffer for his name's sake. I, Acts 5.41, it's incredible. When I, you think about some of the things going on in our country and, and you read about, there's a church in, uh, in Santa Clara, Brother Treber, and we've got... A, a, Lizette and uh, Stephen. <laughs> I'm looking at him back there. Sorry about that. I knew, I, I knew your wife's name more than I knew your name. How, that's not very nice. Stephen and Lizette went to college, Golden State Baptist College out in Santa Clara. Jack Treber, their pastor out there, and he's being fined $5,000 every time they have a service. I mean, there's rioting in the streets. Thousands of people. And here's a church, and they're, they're trying to practice social distancing and comply with everything they're being told, and yet they're being fined. I mean, I, I'm, it's persecution is where we're at now. And you think about that, and I think of Acts 5.41, after the disciples were persecuted, it says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. See, everything we do is for God's name. It's for him. It, I mean, the good things that he does for us, but also the things that are, are, are difficult and suffering and, and things that are not easy. I mean, doing something, though, according to Acts 5, doing something that results in attention or glory being given to God 
should be something we rejoice in. We might, we might say, you know, it's not, it's not easy, and it's not the way I would have picked it, but if it, God's name will be exalted, then I'll, I embrace it because it's his glory. So if God's glory is to be given to God in everything we do, it applies to missions. Romans 1.5, it says, as we go and send others, that, it, it's, that we do it for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. See, this world, folks, your life, all men are all supposed to be all about the glory of God. And missions is about the glory of God. And I'm not saying that salvation of souls isn't important. It's essential. I mean, it matters because every soul matters. But if we follow the train of thought in Philippians 2, salvation leads to God's glory. That's the big idea of God's mission. So what does his mission look like then? I mean, do we do something different? Well, God has a mission to obtain glory by recon- reconciling people to himself. Out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation on earth. That's his goal. That's his mission. He is trying to reconcile people to himself out of every kindred and out of every tongue. So every country on earth, every people group, every, every area of the world, every corner of this earth, God is trying to reconcile people to himself that will bring him the glory that he deserves. Philippians 2, we already read it, every knee, every tongue. Revelation 5, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, and for thou, it says, for thou wast slain, talking to the lamb, singing to the lamb, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. God's mission is to receive glory that he deserves from every person on earth. All over the earth. See, missions is what God does through churches today to fulfill his mission. So missions refers to all that we do under God's authority and with his power to bring glory to God in every nation. It changes it just a little bit. It doesn't necessarily change what we're doing, but it almost makes the cause bigger. I mean, think about it. If, if our goal is to just save souls, and, and that's important, and we want to, we want to reach souls, but if our goal is to reach souls, then we are almost a man-centric, approach to ministry. But if our goal is to glorify God by reaching as many in every tongue and kindred and nation and tribe as we can, then it raises or elevates our reason for doing what we're doing from man-centric to God-centric. It doesn't change what we're doing, but it almost raises why we're doing it. It makes it bigger. It makes it more significant. It doesn't minimize missions. It actually maximizes it because it makes us focus on the fact that we're just striving to reach every nation, every tongue, as many people as possible. Today, missions especially refers to the process of evangelizing and baptizing, discipling and planting churches among people who have insufficient local witness to God's great acts. There are, some, there are some places on this planet 
And they don't have a witness to tell them how great God is. We, have, we take the, the acts of God for granted. You know, you go to a country like China, who's under communist rule, and churches aren't, I mean, essentially churches aren't allowed unless they're underground. You know, there's nobody there that can openly get in the streets and proclaim God's greatness. And yet, God has done great things for us that we can't even fathom. I mean, he saved your soul. The old account settled. There's people in China, saved people, God's people, and they're underground, and they would love for one opportunity to stand in a street and give glory to God for the acts that God has done in their lives. And yet many of them will live their whole lives and never have the opportunity to do it. And yet we have witnessed God's goodness at every turn, many of us, in our lives. God's grace has changed us. God's grace has salvaged us. God's grace has brought some in here out of prison. God's grace in here has saved marriages. And God's grace has restored a wayward soul. And God's grace has given us peace. When, when death was at the doorstep, he's led us through those valleys of death. He's done great thing after great thing after great thing. And we are witnesses to God's glory. And yet some of us might as well wear a mask that muzzles us. Because we rarely share it. If God has done great things for you, then somebody needs to be a witness to his glory. It changes it from, okay, well, I need to reach my neighbor. No, I want my neighbor to know how great my God is. I want my family members to get a glimpse the kind of God that I serve. Because that's his intention, to reach every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every corner of this planet. He wants people there to be a witness to his greatness. So who are we then to take the evidence of God's glory in our lives and hide it under a bushel? God help us. We have such, such freedom and we are now witnessing that freedom, I think, in slow, many ways, maybe faster than I realize, being eroded. And I wonder if God may be removing the opportunities because he had a few generations of Christians here who had the opportunity to share and be a witness to his glory, and they sat on their hands. God, help us. Who knows how much longer the window of the, of the gospel is open? And will we be those that are out there on the streets and knocking on our neighbor's doors and telling people about the Lord because he needs a witness to his greatness? Right now, there's basketball teams playing in the bubble in Orlando, and they all think they're the greatest. And there's football players getting ready for a football season, and they're the best, and nobody can tell them what to do. And baseball players and professional athletes, and we've got politicians who think far more highly of themselves than they ought to going to get their hair cut when it's illegal in San Francisco. <laughs> Wasn't an improvement. Um, I should not get political, I'm sorry. 
Well, the truth is, uh, according to Philippians 2, we have a tendency to vainglory and to make things about us. That's not, it's not about us. Life is about God and his glory. Don't be a, a witness. Don't be a silent witness. Because I think every person in this room could stand up and say, here are the kind of things God's done for my life. I want people to know about this. And the longer we're silent, I believe the more opportunities God takes away. So it's not just about reaching souls, it's about reaching souls that will in turn go and reach somebody else by being a witness to God's glory. This is big stuff. Missions is not just, it's, this is not a, a peripheral focus for Eastside Baptist Church. This should be our primary focus in everything we do. And I hope that as we go through this the next few weeks that you, you'll get on board and that missions will become your heartbeat too. Let's bow our heads. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.